0: or Vineyard Church audio podcast. Now for those of you who weren't actually in the service for this message, what you need to do right now is go over to Spotify or Apple Music or dig out an old CD or record of Let It Be by the Beatles and listen to that. We, we actually got the band up there on the stage and we did a rendition of that and it is tied into this message, which this message is actually called Let It Be. And we're talking today about Mother Mary. Now you know, it's a different Mother Mary than... Paul McCartney was writing about, but I think it still applies, and it should be the simple prayer that we can all pray during this season. Let's go to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Today, we, are, we, we, we got Thanksgiving behind us, right? Did y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. You glad it's over? Yeah. <laughs> thankful it's over. Yes, we had a good Thanksgiving. We were up in uh, East Texas at my dad's place, and I, I did a whole lot of eating and a whole lot of sleeping, and I, I did very little else. So, thankful for that. But now we're entering into Advent season. And over the next few weeks... You are going to see words and phrases appearing over and over on Christmas decorations, on ornaments, on cards. You'll hear them in the songs that are playing in the background at Rouse's or wherever, whatever retail store you're going to buy stuff in. You'll hear terms like glory, peace, hope, joy. Words like we sang this morning, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, the thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Lovely words, inspiring words, but let's be honest, for all the hope and joy and rejoicing and glory, Christmas doesn't really feel like that much of the time, right? Right? Anybody want to be honest? Is it just me? How many of y'all sometimes get to Christmas and just wish you could just like fast forward through the whole thing and get to next year? (laughs) Okay, now we got some honest people up in here, right? (laughs) Because when it comes to words like peace and joy and glory and rejoicing, most of the time Christmas doesn't feel like peace and hope and joy. It is a time where we amp up the stress in our life, the anxiety. It's a time where you get out on the road and there's too much traffic. I don't know why does the traffic get so crazy this time of year. It's the same amount of people. But the traffic gets bad over here. Those cute little Christmas songs that you might have loved as a child, they can seem oppressive at times, you know? Like if I hear another dang Christmas song, it's just pushing me over the edge. Then you've got gatherings with family where you try not, and maybe you tried this even last week at Thanksgiving, try not to bring up to your crazy uncle how you feel like t- about Donald Trump in reality. <laughs> we have to navigate all these kinds of things. And then on top of that, we're trying to find meaning in it. And, and that can feel oppressive as a parent as well. I know when my own kids were, were much younger... You know, we'd get to Christmas and we'd try to say, okay, well we're gonna we're going to receive gifts because it's about the gift of salvation and God coming to earth and God giving of Himself. And we try to to enter into the story, but but oftentimes as much as you don't want to get into the commercialism and all the stuff, you just finally give up at the end and you play along with the whole thing and at the end of the day, you don't know if it was a terribly spiritually meaningful thing for your kids or not, and, and, and compound that as being a pastor. And I really have felt like a failure over the years. And yet, in spite of all of that, in spite of all the chaos and anxiety, and let, let's not forget about depression and loneliness. This is a time of the year where if you feel alone, you're probably going to feel even more alone. Great, I came to church to hear that, thank you. (laughs) If you struggle with depression, you will probably struggle with depression more intensely during the holidays. If you struggle with anxiety, you will probably struggle with anxiety even more intensely. But underneath the veneer of all the stuff that gets stacked upon Christmas, there is a real hope. And I want to talk about that today. I talked about hope a little last weekend, but I'm going to talk about hope again. Today, I want to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, I started off with Let It Be because I think that's a good song about Mary, the mother of Jesus. But I found out, see, I was at a, a little Catholic retreat center this summer, and I was doing a, a little writing retreat. So every day I'd write for about, whoa, whoa. The walls are coming off this place. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) I don't know what it is about you, Ricky. I hear people saying all the time, I don't want to come to church. The ceiling will fall down or something. No. (laughs) No. I was at this Catholic retreat center this summer, and I had just been invited a few weeks before to uh, do a Beatles Mass at the Episcopal Church over here, and so I was already kind of listening to some of those songs, I remember taking a walk one day. They have this beautiful uh, prayer path, and you can go through the stations of the cross, and I came up to a statue of Mary, and I was listening to my my, uh, playlist, you know, and, and that song, Let It Be, came on. I was like, oh, this is a very spiritual moment I was having, and then... Of course, a couple of months later, I, I found the real story from Paul McCartney, and he wrote that, you know, he had a dream about his mom, who said, but I'm going to say it's about Mary, the mother of Jesus, because I think it works that way. Can I get an amen? amen. So today, we're going to talk about Mary, <laughs> because really, if you look at the story about Mary, basically, she says to God, let it be. Let it be according to your word. Now, I put on, on the front of your, your bulletin uh, the passage that we're going to look at today. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. I'm going to go a little bit farther, but that's as much as I could put in your, uh, on your bulletin on the front of it. This is from the message translation. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph, and the virgin's name, Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will rule Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. Mary said to the angel, but how? I've never slept with a man. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called holy, son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son as old as she is? Everyone called her barren. And here she is six months pregnant. Nothing you see is impossible with God. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I am the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. Then the angel left her. Now, this is the part that didn't include on your your outline. Mary didn't waste a minute. She got up and traveled to a town in Judah, the hill country, straight to Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and sang out exuberantly, You're so blessed among women, and the babe in your womb also blessed. And why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord visits me? The moment the sound of your greeting entered my ears, the baby in my womb skipped like a lamb for sheer joy. Blessed woman who believed what God said, believed every word would come true. And Mary said, I'm bursting with good news. I'm dancing the song of God, my Savior. God took one good look at me, and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth what god has done for me will never be forgotten the god whose very name is holy set apart from all others his mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him he bared his arm and showed his strength scattered the bluffing bluffing braggarts he knocked tyrants from their high horses pulled victims out of the mud the starving poor sat down to a banquet The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham and right up until now. It's kind of like a musical reading that, right? I love in this story how they just kind of break out into song, (laughs) Mary shows up, and Elizabeth breaks out into song, and then Mary breaks out into song. It's a beautiful story. Now, I have to admit, I've talked to numerous Christians over the years who are like, yeah, I'm cool with most of the stuff in the Bible, but that thing with Mary, is kind of weird. I've talked to women who are like, you know, if God showed up to me when I was a teenager and said, you're going to be pregnant with God's baby, I'd have freaked out. And Who knows? You know, there's a tradition in, in the Jewish tradition called Midrash, where they will take some of the stories of the Bible, like Moses or Noah, and they will, they will kind of take the characters and, and reimagine different things and put them in conversation with one another. And I kind of like to do a little Midrash with this, and I kind of think, how many other people did God actually appear to and, and make that offer? Like, yeah, you're going to be the, the mother of the Most High God. And probably a lot of them are like, eh, no, thank, no thanks. <laughs> but Mary said, let it be. Mary said, let it be. And I think, regardless of, of, of how you may see this story and, and, and how weird it may seem, there is great truth in this for the spiritual journey. It shows us something of spiritual formation, saying yes to God. I mean, literally, in this story, God is being formed within her womb. Mary is making space in her physical being for the work of God to arise. And the invitation of this story is that we would do the same, that we would say, let it be, God. Let it be. Let your work in me be. Let that thing happen. I'm not going to resist it. I'm not going to oppose it. Say, welcome, Lord. And that's one of the, I, I think, one of the reasons why Mary has been so revered in the last two millennial, millennia of the church is precisely that, her willingness to say, God, Whatever you have for me, no matter how strange, (laughs) I say, let it be, Lord. Hope is formed in us in in mysterious ways. And, And as we can see from the passage today, the Annunciation, which is what this passage is called, when Mary sees the angel, she rejoices. She says, let it be according to your will, Lord. She rejoices in it. But here's the deal. We don't talk about this part much. What hope actually looks like in Mary's life is not that spectacular. <laughs> Anybody, you have those little uh, nativious nativity scenes at your houses that you, you put out on, on your mantle or on on your uh, shelf or something. And, and in the nativity s- scene, you have you know the little stable. You've got the maybe an angel. You got some. Farm animals, you got the shepherds, you got the magi, you got Mary Joseph and sweet little baby Jesus lying in a manger. And we sing songs, little town of Bethlehem, away in a manger. We we get all into the sentimentality of it, but let's let's look at this story maybe from Joseph's perspective. Joseph is engaged to be married to Mary. They're both probably teenagers at this point. And Mary comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. They've never been together. And, and Mary says, it's okay, it's God's baby. <laughs> Joseph's like, I want to go on Montel. And find out who this baby daddy is. No, <laughs> it's not, not his baby. But she says no it's 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 god's baby this came from god and joseph is is doing what what most guys would actually joseph is way more gracious than most guys would be joseph was like okay my wife is, or my, my, my fiancé is going crazy. I'll just put up with her until the baby comes. Then I'm going to divorce her quietly. But an angel shows up to Joseph in a dream and says, this, this thing is from God, so, so go along with it. So, so Joseph decides he's going to go along with it. But that does not make it any easier. And here's the deal about hope, people. Hope is not contingent upon your circumstances. If it was, it wouldn't really be hope. Joseph not only has a pregnant wife who is in the final trimester, the final weeks of the final trimester before she gives birth, and he has to travel with her to Bethlehem to answer a census. And it must have been a crazy, you know, like like if you didn't show up for the census, there must have been some kind of crazy uh, punishment that would happen to make Joseph take his pregnant wife all the way to Bethlehem when she's like within days of having a baby. But he goes to Bethlehem, and what makes matters worse is he shows up in Bethlehem, all the Airbnbs are booked up, all the inns, the hotels, there's no place to stay. The only place that they can find to camp out is a stable. Now, I've never been pregnant, but I've been around pregnant women before. And when you start getting up to those final, final days, you kind of want to be in a place that's clean and comfortable at least. It doesn't have to be extravagant. How many of y'all women want to have a baby in a stable with dirt and animals and stank? We look at this little manger as if it's this lovely little heavenly scene, but it, was, it must have been a visceral experience being around animals and hay and excrement and all that and that little baby Jesus lying in a manger, you realize what a manger is? It's, it's a trough. It's where you put the food for the animals. And that kind of says something about Mary. Like the cleanest place that she could find to put Jesus in that whole thing was in the trough. Now imagine this for a minute. Put yourselves in Mary's shoes. God has shown up to you. In a profound way, an angel, you you had an encounter with an angel that tells you all this stuff, you rejoice in it, You're, you're excited, you're hopeful. I think oftentimes when we experience God in a profound way, we think that, man, life is about to get really good real quick, right? I mean, there's entire ministries that tell you if you follow Jesus, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, have whiter teeth and fresher breath, and, and everything's going to go great for you. God is good all the time. Now imagine that same Mary who nine months before had that encounter, and now she finds herself in a dang stable, surrounded by animals, not by family, not in comfort, giving birth to this child in the midst of dirt and stink and I won't keep going on. Imagine what she must have been thinking about God. Like, God, I, is, this, is this the way it works for those that you make promises to? Is this the way it works? I thought we'd at least get an upgrade. I thought, you know, we, we'd at least have a decent place to stay. And yet, in the midst of all that, in the midst of the animals and the hay And the dirt and the excrement, this baby Jesus is born. And I'm sure the moment that she finally holds that baby in her hands, speaking of babies, what's up? (laughs) The moment that she holds that baby in her hands, all the pain and confusion and all the questions that she was having of God just moments before melted away. That stable that dirty, smelly stable becomes a holy place. It becomes the very place where heaven touches earth. But here's the deal. That same Mary who went through that process of of carrying this child, now she's going to, to be part of Raising Jesus. Do you realize Mary was probably one of the most influential people in Jesus' life, in his spiritual formation. She was the one who spent time with him, who, who told him the stories of old, who told him about God's people. And Jesus had to, to nurse at his mother's breast. He had to have his diapers changed. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. But as anybody who's a parent who's raised kids know, You're not raising kids so that they will, hopefully, you're you're not raising kids so that they'll be dependent on you for the rest of their life, but you're raising them so you can release them and so they can go out and be on their own. And the same Mary who was promised to, to, to carry God's child, to give birth to the Savior, she has to slowly step back and release this Jesus as he becomes a man and he leaves the home. And that must have been another disappointing thing for Mary. But then, after a few years, she begins to hear the rumors of this Jesus being a rabbi. Some are calling him even a prophet. And some are talking about miracles, how he's healed lepers and blind people and how he's done miraculous things, how he's proclaiming the, the word of God, the, 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 the teachings of the kingdom of God with authority, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. And there must have been something in her, in her own heart that, that began to catch fire as if a fresh wind blowing upon embers. And she starts to get excited. This is it. This is all that stuff that God had promised me decades ago. It's coming to pass right now in front of our eyes. And in fact, we know that Mary was there for, for many of the miracles that Jesus performed. And yet, Mary had to see her son, her only son. Well, not her only son by that point. But she had to see her son, her firstborn son, Tortured beaten, and hung up on a cross in front of the whole world. And can you imagine what that must have been like? I can't. I mean, I can try to imagine it. But the tragic loss and grief and confusion and disillusionment even with God. God, all this stuff you promised me decades ago, and this is where it's going. And Mary, like the other disciples, thought that this whole thing had just come to an end. And I can imagine Mary, even in that moment, being, be, beginning to question her own sanity. Did I actually experience God all those years ago? Is, is this just been some weird dream? Am, am, am I losing my mind? Because this doesn't look anything like God. You ever found yourself in that situation, people? Where it don't look anything like the way you thought this thing was supposed to work out with God. And was said that Mary was there at the cross, unlike the other disciples who ran away like a bunch of little scared kids. Mary was there looking on. Mary was there for the resurrection. And again, her hope is restored. <laughs> and we see that Mary was even in the second chapter of Acts on the day of Pentecost. She was there with the other disciples when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Now, the reason I bring up this story of Mary's life is because we tend to think of hope as when things go the way that we want them to go. Like, I hope this works out. Like, I hope LSU wins. And then they don't. And then your hopes are dashed, right? Right? We tend to think of hope as if it is a denial of reality. Like, you know, like, I'm just going to pretend like everything's going great. Like, y'all remember seeing Monty Python? There was the, the the Black Knight, you know? And he gets in a fight, and, you know, he gets one arm lo- lopped off, and he's like, tis but a flesh wound. Is that all you've got? And they cut his other arm off, and then, you know, and then eventually he's just a little stub on the ground with a head going, you know, come back here. Let me fight you like a proper... <laughs> Sometimes I think that's what we think of hope—that hope is just denying, like la 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 la, life is good, life is awesome, you know, like like looking in the mirror and just affirming ourselves, like I'm people like me. <laughs> but that's not really hope. Hope is learning how to trust God in spite of how even God may appear to us sometimes. Hope does not mean resolve of tension or a good go of things in our life. The same Mary who experienced the Annunciation would find herself giving birth in a dirty manger. And the same Mary that gave birth in the manger would find herself raising a child. The same Mary who raised the child would have to one day let him go. The same Mary who let him go and rejoiced in his ministry and and how God was moving in his life would have to see him suffer and die. But the same Mary who saw him suffer and die would also get to witness his resurrection. Why is it that we think that the spiritual journey is just going to be this steady path where everything is good all the time? It's not. And I'm glad. I'm thankful for Mary's story in here. Actually, if you look at all the apostles' stories, I don't know why we ended up with the prosperity... Well, I know why, possibly why we ended up with the prosperity gospel in the United States of America because it's, it's like the idea of God that we'd like to have. You know, God just blesses us because we're his followers. But the reality is the blessings of God are not material blessings. It's great when you got them. But there's something deeper going on that we can learn from Mary. I love the fact that The Apostle Paul, many years later, many years after the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, Paul would would seize on the metaphor of pregnancy to describe what's going on within us and to describe hope. He says this in Romans 8. All around us, and by the way, this is what inspired the song I wrote that we sang this morning, Our Hope is in You. All around us we observe a pregnant creation, The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectation. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting God's spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. If we do not know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us. Making prayer out of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. And that is why we can be sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. See, God knew what He was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love Him along the same lines as the life of His Son. The Son stands first in the line of humanity restored. We see the original intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling his people by name. And after calling them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. So what do you think? With God on our side, how can we lose if God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who, wouldn't, who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to lie for us, is, the presence, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. That's good stuff right there. See, I think what Paul is getting at, and this is what we need to hear, saying yes to God, saying let it be to God, it does not exempt you from hardships. It does not exempt you from troubles. It is, does not exempt you from suffering, but it is the very place where you encounter God's Spirit alongside you, within you, and it is going somewhere. It is moving somewhere. Sufferings become the very crucible from which the life of Christ is formed within us. Richard Rohr once said this transformation only comes through great love or great suffering how many of y'all have changed when things were going great in your life when you had all the bills paid when your kids were doing everything you wanted them to we don't transform in those times we don't transform because of blessings we transform when things are stripped away when our our big theological prayers get whittled down to, oh God, please help. That's the moment. Why? Because we're stripped of the illusions. We're stripped of the illusions. Disillusionment can be a good thing. We're stripped of the illusion that our life is in our stuff, or our reputation, or in our money, and we get down to the things that really matter. Now, Many years ago, I got a lot of friends here from the South Shore, from Kenner. Let's give it up for the Kenner folks here. Woohoo. Many years ago when I was living in Kenner during Hurricane Katrina, you know, we got enough water in our house to make it unlivable. It was only three or four inches, which is all you need. And we had to throw most of our stuff away and we didn't have a whole lot of stuff. I mean, we were we we're still, you know, only about 6 years into marriage. We had to throw all the little bit of stuff that we had away, take it to the curb along with everybody else. But you know, the real thing that was the most tragic loss for us after Katrina was the loss of community. I think anybody who lived down there could say the same thing. We lived in a little apartment that had a had a little courtyard And at night, we would often find ourselves a few nights a week just sitting out there talking to our neighbors. And we had a very diverse community of neighbors. We had an an old widow on the corner who was, was a German lady, spoke with a heavy accent. We had a couple of people next door from Central America. We had a biracial couple next door to us. We had just all kinds of people from different backgrounds, and we would just hang out in the courtyard and and share life together. But after Katrina, most of these people didn't come back, or they only came back to gather some belongings. And for anybody who lived down there at the time, the, the, the whole culture, everything was different. And what I began to realize was that, you know, all that stuff, that we focus so much on, all that stuff that we're trying to accumulate and fill our houses with and then get bigger houses to put more stuff in and then get storage units to put all the extra stuff in. None of that really matters. The end of the day the things that are most important are your relationships it's your family it's it's those things and and there was something about you know I don't think you know there there was people who said, well God sent Katrina to judge new orleans i don't I don't believe that and I don't think God sent Katrina to teach me a lesson about spiritual formation, but I will say this that what Paul talks about here that that God works everything together for those for for the good of those who Love him and are called according to his purpose. I have seen that to be true time and time again. Yes, I have had amazing encounters with the, the Spirit of God that have been kind of like what, I mean, I'm sure they weren't like Mary. They weren't like that, that amazing. But I've had times where I've encountered God in a powerful way and where I, it, it's like you know I could see. Outside of my ego, I could see in a broader way, I could see what God was doing. And I, I come out of those experiences so hopeful. But those experiences themselves don't really change you. It is in the suffering. It is in the hard times. If we will hold fast to God, we will find that the, the very places that, that we thought were going to take us down really become the very place of transformation. Transformation. Most of the transformation that's happened in my life over the last 26 years of being a Christian has come out of the hard times. It's come out of difficulties in marriage, difficulties in finances. It's come out of relational brokenness. It's come out of struggling through those things and maybe even getting disillusioned with God in the process. But as C.S. Lewis once once remarked about uh, Aslan, the lion that represents Jesus, and, and the lion and the witch in the wardrobe, Aslan, he says, is not a tame lion. God is not a tame God. And one thing we can we can be for sure, looking at the New Testament, is that even the people who were closest to Jesus, they became disillusioned with Jesus on many occasions because Jesus didn't act the way they thought the Messiah was supposed to act. So what we're signing up for when we say, "Let it be, God." We're not controlling God. God's not going to be squeezed into our expectations, but we are going to find that even when things get bad, we will encounter the Spirit in a fresh way. Now, last week, when I was in Texas for Thanksgiving, I, I spent spent some time reflecting over things that I was thankful for, and I want to I share a few of these with you. I'm thankful for the hard times, the anxious times, the confusing times, the times when it did not go the way I'd planned, for in those times I found the greatest treasures right in front of me to which my busyness and attachments had blinded me. I'm thankful for disillusionment. While it is so hard to separate reality from our ideals of what reality ought to be, I am thankful for the process. Living in reality takes real courage, but is much better than living in the Truman Show. I am thankful for the encounter with resurrection life that happens the very moment it feels like the end. I am sure that Mary got disillusioned with God on more than one occasion. I'm sure that there are many times where Mary was like, wait a second. This is, not, this is not what I signed up for, Lord. And yet, we don't lose track of Mary in the story. She keeps coming back and she keeps trusting God. And I think what is required of us today, if we want to learn anything from the, from the uh, example of Mary, it is let it be that with God... We come with open hands and we say, God, I don't understand what's going on in my world or the world. And there's things that I don't like and there's things that I want to fight. But the more you fight against things, the harder, the more you fight to try to control reality and control other people and control your situation, the more frustrated you're going to be. The moment we can just take our hands off and say, God, this is not what I wanted. This is not how I imagined it. This is not how I imagined my marriage or my job or my kids. The moment we can be honest with that and come to God and say, this is not how I wanted. Nevertheless, Lord, I trust you. Let it be. That moment then transforms our suffering into a place of transformation. So this morning, we're going to close by by taking communion together. I was going to do it during worship, but um, I forgot. (laughs) So we're going to close with communion. Which, I mean, how beautiful is this? We come to this table. We take of the bread and the cup. This meal symbolizes something very difficult. It symbolizes the broken body, shed blood of our Jesus. This is a meal of hope, y'all. This is a meal that celebrates that death and destruction and suffering does not have the last word if we will but trust our lives to the Lord. So I want to invite you to come down to the front. We, we, we still got the gluten-free option. We have gluten-free communion as well. Uh, that, that'll be at the back. Yes, it'll be at the back. And uh, as I just sing the song, and hey, this is an open table, so anybody that is just moving towards God in any way, you can come down and take of the bread and the cup. And somebody's going to look you in the eyes and say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Receive the body and blood of Christ today. Receive the spirit into your life. As you come up, say, let it be, Lord. Let it be in me according to your will. I'll just play a song and y'all can make your way up.